Chris, we're getting close to episode 250. And so I started thinking about things about milestones and I realized people like to talk about like, you know, at that point in history, how much milk cost. Uh Yeah. There is from the USDA Agricultural Marketing Service, a retail milk prices report. The U.S. simple average prices are $3.69 per gallon for conventional whole milk. You can uh, really get more for your money in Louisville, Kentucky. So the milk is cheaper in those areas? Yeah, two forty six in Louisville, two seventy nine in Wichita. Conversely, if you're in Chicago, you're going to pay on average four sixteen, or in New York, four twenty. Ooh, Philadelphia, four ninety nine. What's happening in Philadelphia? Why is milk so expensive? It's it's hard for me to to get some value out of this because I'm lactose intolerant. Then maybe you're the ideal candidate to recruit to Philadelphia because cost of living won't be near as high for you. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 249 of Touchpoint. On the other side of the microphone is Chris Boyer, and I am Reed Smith. I just had a nice glass of oat milk, Reed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to. I don't. I can't really measure that. I, I feel like you can't really lump that in. Is that is that actually milk? Well, that's a whole nother podcast cold open for us to handle. Yeah. How do you how do you get milk out of nuts? I don't know. How that works. Or oats, for that matter, but still. Well, welcome. I, I don't, you have no idea what you've just joined if you're new, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with the dairy industry. Promise, just hang in there. We will talk about marketing here shortly, specifically healthcare marketing. And we'd like to give a plug for our website, touchpoint.health. So if you are new, uh, welcome. If you're joining us again, uh, would, thanks for coming back. Uh, touchpoint.health, again, is the website. You can go over there and check out a little bit more about this episode, including relevant links. You can also learn more about the show. You can learn more about other shows on the network, other show hosts, topics, all that kind of fun stuff. But while you're there, you'll notice up in the top navigation, something called the TPS report. TPS report is a weekly email, comes out every Monday morning, five articles, all that it has in there, five articles to start your week. Uh, give you some good reading material and things maybe to kind of kickstart some of the uh, creative or thought process for the week. And I would love it if you'd sign up for that. We promise not to do anything else, but send you that one email every week and would love that uh, support. Certainly rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. We'll pause here for just one second while you go do that. And then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, I'm on the edge of my seat today because you know that today's podcast is about a topic that I like so much. Is it? (laughs) It is. You know that ROI is something that's near and dear to my heart and something that I I like to talk about. I like to sing about. I like to. Oh, oh, you you hear that? Is that a, I hear a ukulele. What am I hearing? Is that? Yep. It's a ukulele. (laughs) I don't even know if that resonates with anybody anymore. That's, that's been a while back, but. We'll move on past that if you'd like to know more about the ukulele and how that relates to ROI. Just YouTube it. Today, we're going to be talking about ROI and the different flavors of ROI that are often mistaken for ROI. I I keep using that term ROI. What we're talking about here is return on investment or a measurement model. You've said this, a lot of people have said this, obviously, but uh, I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. So... When people say ROI, they probably, potentially you need to clarify what it actually is they're talking about. So like, for example, if somebody at your organization says, well, what's the ROI of this effort? You, you are going to want to dig into that a little bit and say, hey, what are you really asking? Like, was this a good idea? You know, did we get good engagement? Did we make money, save money? Like, you're going to have to get them to define because all of those things technically are not ROI. That's right. And depending on who you're saying, you know, I've measured ROI from this effort, they may interpret that differently. Yeah. Uh, for example, if you're talking to someone in the financial side or decision support, they are thinking about ROI a lot differently than, let's say, a service line person would think about ROI. And in our space, we always say, I think that we've mentioned and, and shared studies that say that ROI measurement is probably one of the most important things that we can all do. We invest in a lot of technology to get us to start to understand ROI of our efforts. But uh, it's always important to kind of come back and say, wait a second, what do we mean when we say ROI? Or moreover, are we saying ROI when we mean marketing ROI? Yeah. And so you, you found an article here from our friend, our friends. I always like to use that. Our friends (laughs) over at Salesforce, the, the article, how to measure marketing ROI, but we're, we're really going to talk about kind of the basics of marketing ROI. So ROI, or in this case, what we're calling marketing ROI, uh, they're defining is the return on investment that the company or the organization receives from all the marketing activities. Profit, revenue growth, maybe cost savings, all from different kind of marketing channels and efforts. So there's things that include things like, you know, certainly email marketing or social media marketing. I think a lot about digital marketing in this space, a lot of the paid efforts, obviously, because it's sometimes easier to, to measure the return if you're paying. But yeah, marketing ROI. Marketing ROI. That kind of makes sense when, you, when we're trying to define marketing ROI. It just basically is financial return from all the marketing work that you do. And that's why when a lot of organizations, when you ask their chief marketing officers, what's the most important thing? They say ROI, marketing ROI or, or attribution is like a top priority for what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's not always directly a financial outcome. 
really marketing ROI shows you which marketing channels are more effective and more profitable. But oftentimes when you're measuring the effectiveness of a marketing channel, that could be something very much different than a financial return. And this article even makes that mistake by saying this. It's actually saying that effectiveness of a marketing channel is also an ROI measurement. And that, to me, kind of confused me right up from the onset. Yeah, I don't know that that makes sense. Again, ROI is a financial measurement. I'm not saying there's not other types of measurement, success measurement. So if somebody's asking, was this effort worth our time? That's different than saying, what's the ROI of this effort? I mean, there's other ways to measure success than financial, I guess, is my point. That's absolutely true. Here is their formula in this article for marketing ROI or MROI. It's equal to marketing value minus marketing cost divided by marketing cost. Marketing value? What does that mean? Like, how do you, like, how do you, that, that's a squishy term to me. How do you put a dollar value on value, on just the idea of value? So again, you're going to have to determine with your folks at your organization, is it revenue or contribution margin or what, whatever it is that you're measuring? What is the, the money we made or the money we saved minus the cost over the cost? But this idea of value, I don't know. That seems a little too malleable. I would agree with you 100%. They even say outright, as you develop your strategy, keep in mind that MROI doesn't always have to be financial in nature. Then, then MROI probably, and again, I'm not saying this is a bad idea, right? But remember, MROI or return on engagement or wh- whatever terminology that somebody used in a book or title of a book or whatever, again, not bad things, but not ROI. It's not the same measurement. But they do call out some really good things in here that I think are important around the idea of measuring success, right? Set clear goals, identify the cost, get the right technology, create a formula, you know, in which they then talk about theirs that you read. So again, pointing out really good things, uh, but, but again, be very clear when you're selling the idea that I can measure ROI, what you really are measuring and mean by that. Yeah, they say here that you can be sure to add softer metrics, such as social media likes and followers to your equation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. You can, um, and maybe you should. What dollar value can you attribute to a social media follower like or comment? This kind of illustrates the fact that measuring financial ROI from marketing is always a very challenging thing to do. And that's why they felt necessary to add the M in front of the letters ROI. MROI or marketing ROI seems to be like a little bit more squishier, right? Of a metric than actual financial ROI, like you said. Which is fine. Again, I mean, I think there is value in tracking uh, your audience size, for example, or your website visits, you know, how many followers you have or whatever. Um, now, I think for the most part, those are good to trend over time and you want to see them go up and to the right. But the actual number there, I don't know, matters. 
or at least doesn't matter near as much as the trend. So again, that has nothing to do with ROI, but it may have to do with success. So they outline a couple of the metrics here, Reed, that uh, maybe help help us to illustrate marketing ROI or marketing channel ROI. So the first one is email marketing ROI. They say tracking open rates and link clicks and following your reader's journey across your website, you'll get a clear picture of what works best for your email marketing strategy. Uh, Yes, that is a good activity to do. (laughs) Um, I don't have any idea how that then equates to an ROI number. Email marketing ROI, this sounds to me like, you know, tracking open rates and clicks and, and that kind of thing. Good success metrics, potentially. It maybe even identifies what's working to their point or what's not working or resonating with people. So sure. Just like, you know, when we touched on this one already, but social media ROI. Again, if you can get leads out of it, Great, because then you can follow those through and ultimately understand what kind of then value or, or dollars came from those leads. But you know, they talk in here about you know followers and, and website traffic and awareness and even cultural impact. Which again, these things are all really hard for me to assign a dollar value to, but are worth trending and tracking certainly. Again, it's kind of speaking to the fact that this marketing ROI concept is is more directional in nature, right? It kind of leads you yeah. to be able to understand things. They even go so far as to say digital advertising ROI. Uh, this is, again, in, in marketing ROI terms, what does this mean? They, they indicate here like click-throughs and focusing on the right channels and making sure that search engine marketing as opposed to social media marketing works better to give you a clearer picture of the value of your marketing spend. What's challenging here with this definition, it feels so soft. Well, even the last one they point out here about event event marketing. So they, they talk in here about real hard costs, you know, paying presenters or entertainment or you know, food, beverage, you know, that kind of thing, all part of the marketing spend. So yes, that's part of your cost uh, in the equation that we've talked about. But they talk about the fact that connections you can make with new or potential customers are often worth that cost. So that's true. But nothing about that statement has anything to do with ROI. Now, I will say over time, you will understand what new connections mean for your business, right? Like for every 10 people we talk to, we garner $5,000 in revenue or, or whatever, whatever the scenario is. And so it's a little predictive modeling at that point. So I think event-based marketing is a really interesting one because it it has all these dynamics as part of it. Sometimes a little bit easier to track even uh, because you're paying money, you're having uh, a certain level of activity happen around you, uh, and you can you know really understand what that then means to the business. It may just take a minute for really to understand what revenue comes to this. And then you can back into what those numbers are and use that going forward. Yeah, it's not like, though, you're going to be able to measure your event and say, for every $1,000 we spend at the open bar, we generated 5000 in revenue, Yeah, right? You're not going to be able to do that. So when you talk about marketing ROI in this context, it's not necessarily about direct attribution. It's not about financial metrics. It's directional at best in nature. Mm. 
So why don't we do this read? Why don't we take a brief pause? We'll come back after the break. And then we'll get into some other ways that we could start to talk about ROI, including the three stepbrothers, Uh-oh. Rami, Roe, and Roas. We'll do that right after the break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so let's let's dig into these stepbrothers that you mentioned before the break. So it uh, comes from a website, uh, is it Rontar, R-O-N-T-A-R.com, evaluating the effectiveness of advertising campaigns. And it talks about ROMI, ROI, and ROAS. So let's uh, let's dig into each of this. Uh, Romy, as you as you <laughs> mentioned, uh, return on marketing investment. Now, this one I think may speak a little bit to kind of the things that we were talking about before the break, or our sentiment around some of that. They talk about it as being an indication of return on investment in marketing. Yeah, it's like a percentage ratio that demonstrates profitability or waste of a concrete sum of marketing investment. Here's the formula. I like to talk formulas. So Romy is equal to the income from marketing minus the cost of goods minus marketing expenditures divided by marketing expenditures times 100. Right. Get you to that percentage. And they talk about the fact that if it's less than 100%, then the marketing investments were wasteful. If it's more, they were profitable, right? So you kind of that's your, you know, you want to be above the 100% mark after you multiply times 100. Yeah. And notice in that formula, it has two things, cost of goods and marketing expenditures. There are ways where you can actually do these calculations without accounting for cost of goods or without accounting for marketing expenditures. Oftentimes, like when you were talking about in CRM and healthcare, if we're talking about Romy, a lot of times that's why we use contribution margin because contribution mm-hmm. margins account for the cost of you know the goods, goods so to speak, yeah. everything, right? So that's kind of a formulaic way to short circuit that. So that's what Romy is about. So Roy, I guess, is not a stepbrother. Roy is return on investment, right? Which we've talked about, and I don't know that. There's a lot more there other than, I mean, that really is the financial piece. It's not just about marketing. There's really no difference in calculating that. But oftentimes, when marketers use the term ROI, they really are talking about return on marketing investment. If anything financial that they can calculate, it's marketing investment. It's not like all the other overhead or all the other things. It's about we paid X number of dollars on advertising and it resulted in Y number of dollars of leads, which leads us to the last brother of Roy, Roas, (laughs) or R-O-A-S, return on ad spend. What is that, Reed? 
Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like, you know, was your ad spend, you know, worth it or not? You know, so very similar to the you know, marketing investment calculation, you're looking at really just the income from marketing divided by marketing expenditures. So, you know, you're looking at, well, what did we get from this AdWords campaign, for example? And so you're looking at, it's almost like a subset in my mind. And oftentimes it's used that way too. And I've seen ROAS calculated for Google advertising as opposed to Bing advertising, as opposed to Facebook advertising or or whatever it may be, right? It's about comparing really advertising channels and advertising Mm -hmm. spend per channels and then using that in aggregate to really, you know, understand which platforms work better. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you're going to see this used within a campaign, you know, we pretty quickly use this to determine what's working, what's not working, where do we need to divert dollars, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you know, this article goes on to say that when you choose between Rami and ROAS or ROAS, always opt for Rami whenever you can, specifically the formula, which includes the cost of goods sold. Again, in healthcare, that's a little bit harder to do. They caution that unlike ROAS, Rami can give you a better understanding of when or not the investments you're paying off and if they are, by how much. So that really gives you a good good understanding of the variable costs in your marketing budget. Let's very quickly turn to a last article before we go to this great interview from Marketing Profs, or that's, I guess we can call them our good friends. We know some people from Marketing Profs. We, we do. Yeah, we do, actually. Yes, they are good friends. And this, uh, this article is great. So it's titled, Three Activities to Prioritize for Maximum Marketing ROI in 2021. So marketing ROI again, right? The directional soft ROI. Again, what's important here is we start to think about this, Reed. Don't think about it as like last attribution, like this Google AdWord converted to this number of leads. Mm -hmm. Think of this as more as directional in nature. So they list three areas when you're setting plans and budgets for 2021 and beyond that you should be looking at when you're starting to calculate marketing ROI. What's the first one? Invest in your brand foundation. Hmm. I I think you're doing this all along, right? So I think, again, there's a reason it's called foundation. And they talk a lot about the fact that, you know, if the goal is to boost awareness, generate leads, obviously, you know, you need to have a brand building effort underway and probably consistently in place. So looking at things like personas, strategic positioning, Brand expression will will ultimately lead to more conversions and revenue in the long run. So again, this is not an immediate trigger, but it's something that really needs to be in place. Yeah, how much of that persona generate in financial return, right? You don't ask that question. This is foundational stuff. The second one is not to overlook operations and technology. If you're responsible for tying ROI to marketing spend, you got to make sure your Martech stack and your data cleanliness areas are like prioritized. Obviously, it makes sense, right? When you look at your tech stack, you want to make sure it's integrated. It provides you an understanding of the directional nature of what you're doing from a marketing perspective and really help you to get that marketing ROI measurement. You don't want to invest in technologies that are unable to give you that. So they they actually recommend take advantage of technology that helps to enhance the customer experience and maximize revenue. Boy, if you can create that, we'd be rich. We wouldn't be doing podcasting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Podcasting is for the birds. 
<laughs> uh, lastly, they talk about the fact uh, that you need to focus on channels with the greatest impact on ROI. So we talked a little bit about some of the measurements that will aid in this, right? But being able to pivot or shift investments to align with goals in a more strategic way. So looking at these channels that we've used for years, for example, looking at that data uh, and understand you know, what works. So again, this goes back to some of the persona pieces early on, really understand what that is. But, you know, it's easy to just uh, pick all your tactics and divide by that number. And that's how much money you're going to use on each. And maybe that's fine for a week or so until you really start understanding what's working and then using some of these other ways to, to optimize. You know, it's interesting that they list these three things, right? Invest in brand foundation. Some of those softer things around branding and marketing, personas, brand expressions, things that you don't typically associate with a financial ROI. Technology to kind of tie all your activity together to give you some kind of directional understanding of the overall experience of people that are going down your customer buying journey, so to speak. And then looking at channels to invest in receiving that sort of the, the most optimized financial ROI or the most maybe marketing ROI, I guess I should say in this particular case, all of these things kind of all fall together. But when whenever we talk about measuring ROI, we usually don't talk about branding or you know technology and all this other stuff. We usually just focus in on things like this campaign yielded this many leads or or what have you. I think that this paints a much broader picture of what ROI measurement is and why marketing ROI might be a better lexicon for us to use when we start talking about this in the future. I think this is an evolving space that we have to continue to get smarter in. I think the only way to do that, obviously, is to experiment to some extent, but also be smart about, you know, when we're going in, what we're trying to, you know, what we're solving for. Well, and that's a good natural lead into the interview. I sat down with Dan Small who's the Senior Director of Digital Strategy at Hartford HealthCare. He and I are going to be presenting at a conference next spring, by the way, just so you know. But we talked about how he took his organization through what he calls the journey of ROI. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get into a lot of different aspects about sort of the technology that he needs, but but more importantly, the building of the relationships that you ha- that you need to build within your organization to get there. Because unfortunately, marketing ROI measurement is so difficult, it requires other people in your organization. So let's take a brief pause here. We'll come back after the break and we'll hear from Dan. And then Reed and I will be back to close out the show. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am talking to someone who is new to the show, but I think we've been actively talking to one another for the last few months now. Yeah, maybe six months or more, actually, as yeah. we're for a, uh, a conference uh, presentation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about that because that conference presentation is still going to happen, but in the near future. But we'll, we'll address that at the end of the interview today. But before we jump into um, the topic today at hand, I think some people listening in may not know who you are. Would you mind sharing a brief background of yourself? Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, my name is Dan Small. I work for Hartford Healthcare, and we are based out of Hartford, Connecticut about a $4.5 billion organization, one of the largest integrated healthcare networks here in New England. And um, I've been uh, the senior 
Director of Digital Strategy for Hartford Healthcare, actually just only the past two months and have been working within the marketing department of Hartford Healthcare for the past decade and with Hartford Healthcare in various capacities for actually 20 years now. Wow. So you've seen a lot in the last 20 years, I could imagine. Did you originally start in digital? I didn't. I actually started, believe it or not, in accounts payable, <laughs> which is a, uh, a noble a noble profession, but uh, not, not for me, not exactly um, uh, a good place for creatives. With your background in accounts payable, it actually <laughs> adds a little bit more credence, right, to the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is measuring ROI, uh, which is a topic that can be at times to some of our listeners probably, you know, makes the hairs on the back of their neck raise up a little bit when you, when you start talking about this. Yeah, understood. All of us in, in marketing and specifically in healthcare marketing have been presented to and sold this vision, this story about accurate tracking and, and marketing ROI for goodness, at least 15 years. And it often seems like a pipe dream. Sometimes it is, but it can be done. You just have to have the right set of ingredients and foundation in order to get to that uh, tracking um, and marketing ROI that is so uh, elusive for, for so many of us. You know, it's interesting that we're calling it, right, marketing ROI or return on marketing investment. I think ROMI is the, the acronym for that because I am an ROI purist at times. You may know this from me. Uh, you know, I like to think of ROI as, as a purely financial metric, but right. in our space, that's sometimes very difficult to achieve. What are your thoughts about the term, you know, marketing ROI? Yeah, this is a hot topic. And depending on where you have the conversation, the, the answer will differ. If you're working in marketing, ROI and uh, return on marketing investment or marketing ROI is the same thing because we're in marketing. We're talking about our investment in the media and how much we're earning back above and beyond that. So for me, I'm a purist as well. I don't look at charges and I prefer not to look at expected reimbursement. I like to look at contribution margin, mm -hmm. which is the closest thing you're going to get to what you might call profit, right? Mm -hmm. A contribution margin backs out a lot of those administrative fees and that overhead. So if you just look at contribution margin and then you pair that up and compare it against your marketing spend, your actual media spend, you, that's as close as you're going to get to determining, determining whether or not this investment is actually uh, worth continuing. And I know, uh, Chris, you like to talk about directional nature of uh, these types of reports. I feel the same way because the reality is, is you're never going to capture all of the activity in the market and then be able to, on the reverse side, you can never in digital claim all of the revenue from your activity because without the awareness, people may not search and find on Google and then convert on your landing page, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful not to get into the last click attribution trap and uh, sort of paint yourself in a corner saying, this is all digital. We did this. It's not true. It's the service line, it's the healthcare system, it's your brand, it's your awareness and your tr traditional marketing as well. 
you kind of outlined the, the complexity of the situation here when we're talking about measurement and showing you know the return of all the activities that we do in the marketing suite and more specifically in the digital marketing suite. You know, what's interesting, the reason why you and I are talking, you recently gave a presentation about uh, about this whole journey that you went on at Hartford Healthcare, right? Around a Getting to ROI, I think that was the name of your your presentation. Getting to ROI, that's a very difficult topic, challenging topic for many of us. What led you down this path of wanting to actually present about this? Precisely because it's so difficult and because so few have achieved it. And it's even on our journey here um, in our marketing department at Hartford Healthcare, We've actually had failures before we've come to success. There are a lot of vendors out there and they will sell you a bill of goods that they're going to be able to get you ROI for your investments and you're going to do it in 12 weeks. But I'm a little bit of an evangelist here where I like to prepare people for what needs to be done in order for that vendor to actually deliver on that promise in the first place, or let alone to try to do it on your own. So I wanted to be able to go tell our story here to help prepare other healthcare organizations and marketers such as yourself, what you're going to be in for and uh, you know what, what those basic tenets of that foundation are in order to, to be successful. I like that. I, I think that you highlighted the, the main point here, right? Which is uh, measuring ROI, it's difficult, but the journey to measuring ROI can be even more complex unless you align your organization behind it. So let's let's jump into this. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that journey. How did you walk the organization or help the organization get down this path to start to measure ROI successfully? We've gone through various versions of reporting revenue in this organization, and it has actually become less complex over time because in the early days, we didn't have a single electronic health record. Mm. Didn't have cost accounting across the system. We didn't have standardization in the revenue uh, metrics across our various hospitals and organizations. And we used to uh, believe it or not, collect all of those various files and then provide them to um, a vendor or multiple vendors and have them help us analyze that and report it back. But then for us and my team, it was nearly impossible to then help others understand what they're seeing because for one hospital, you might only have charges. Another, you might have nothing. Another, you might have contribution margin. We were doing this in different ways before we standardized, but because the system, the organization did standardize how they report out from the the systems that they use for how we even would work with uh, the IT department or the decision support department to put a request in, all of those things made our latest initiative with our CRM possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, because without that, we just simply couldn't, we couldn't have done uh, what we're doing now. And it basically comes down to, like I said, standardization that allows for measurement. 
once you've standardized, you can measure things, which provides actionable data that can be turned into knowledge, actionable knowledge, which you can then now optimize. You can optimize your spend, your tactics, uh, who you're targeting, and all of that leads to return on investment or a better stated as return on marketing investment. I think that makes a lot of sense, that framework. But you know, a lot of people, they, they want to just rush out of the box, right? They just want to buy something. Well, let's right. get a CRM. I'll get ROI whenever the CRM stands up. It's not really that way, and at least from my experience. I'd love to understand from your perspective, it's like, what, what are all the things that you need in order for all this to happen? You mentioned CRM, but is that it? Yeah, no, it's not just a CRM. <laughs> it really, it's people, first of all, uh, oh. dedicated, resilient people. So there, I have a bit of a, fra- a framework there too. So at the very bottom of this, uh, imagine it as a bit of a building blocks on a pyramid. Mm-hmm. At the very bottom, you need leadership support and patience because <laughs> it takes time. And oftentimes your leaders will push you to move faster than the people and the technology and the standardization can realistically um, achieve. So that's patience with a CE, not patience like patience, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you also need patience. Because if you don't have actual patience, you're going to have uh, no, no uh, encounters in uh, revenue. Uh, so on the other side of that foundation is really a committed and resilient project team, because there will be multiple setbacks over time. And on the other side of that, when there's some impatience, and a real need to show some wins, quick wins, to continue momentum and to garner enough support to keep investing in this transition to digital, which we all talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and everybody wants to transition to digital. And most of us, I think, probably have. But one of the reasons is because it's trackable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know your investment is paying off. Well, it takes time to do that. So mm-hmm. you need that leadership support and, and patience and you need a commit, committed and resilient project team. Right on top of that, you need standardized electronic health records. Now, you could have multiple streams for multiple organizations. We have done that in the past. It just becomes more complicated. Every time you do another one, that's another ETL, right? That's another request with IT. It's another request with decision support. It's another revenue source for the vendor you're working on. Um, or, or another uh, project for your analytics team if they're going to do it in-house. Mm-hmm. You also need decision support and cost accounting competency as an organization. Who is in charge of standardization and ensuring that your service lines are all mapped correctly and all of that? You need that. Mm-hmm. And you need ITS analytics and reporting competency. Now, I think everybody likes to think they have that. But it's another thing when the marketing department comes to ITS and analytics and and asks for this kind of support. Well, they need to have that standardization in their area where they recognize the importance of this. They have a standard to work with you and a vendor and they they provide the resources, albeit you may have to wait a while. But uh, that competency has to be there. Now, on top of that, you need an ROI-capable CRM platform and vendor partner. It's You can do it on your own, I suppose. And we've even built a spot checking tool internally 
between uh, our business analyst and ITS, but we only use that for spot checking the accuracy. We don't try to match everything and build all the algorithms on our own. It's just, it's far too difficult for, and that, by the way, we're marketers and technologists. We're not actuaries and we're not accountants. Mm -hmm. So we need support. So I would say best off bringing in um, an organization that that's what they do. That's what they're known for their best in class. You also need marketing discipline and operational standardization. What do I mean by that? Well, if you try to run a, a multi-channel digital CRM campaign and your marketing department is going in multiple directions and they're not following the call to action needs and you're not tagging things appropriately, you're not setting it up in the CRM appropriately, you are starting to sort of dirty your data a little bit by muddying in calls to a line that didn't come from your paid tactics. You, you know, all of that stuff is actually going to create really, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you pollute your data uh, because you don't have marketing discipline, that's going to be a problem. And in, in, in addition to that, operational discipline, meaning, or standardization, I should say, operational standardization, where if you're going to take leads or if you're going to take calls to a marketing call center or in-house, who's going to call that patient, that customer, that consumer back and convert them into a customer? And are they going to do it within 24 four hours or 48 hours? Or do you have an access center who is operating 24 hours a day and will take those calls? That has to be worked out because early on in this journey, that wasn't happening here 10 years ago in the first couple of times. And then people would get lost in the system. The after hours callers weren't being called back the next day. I mean, you have to lock that stuff down. In fact, that's probably the first thing that you need to do <laughs> is do that before you even worry about whether or not you're uh, making a return on your investment. Make sure that you're getting your customers the experience they need and they're getting the care that they've asked for and that we're trying to help them get that they need. It makes total sense as you're describing all of this, right? Outside of the marketing suite, a lot of the things that you mentioned are typically not found traditionally within our suite, right? right. So you have to build relationships with the IT team to make sure that the data and analytics are coming in right, the decision support, um, you know, the EMR integrations, as well as that standardization if your call center is not in your marketing department. So the CRM is probably, you know, just the icing on the cake in the middle of it all, right? It could subsume all the data. Is that how you see it? Well, interestingly, the relationship management, relationship growth, and having this CRM was in some ways the catalyst that helped get some of these other things mm -hmm. because we are consistently, constantly driving at this at the leadership level and with our, our colleagues and partners in, in other departments. Now, I, I can't tell you that we are the number one driver of uh, standardized electronic health records. That's not true. But the ability for the, the, the system to you know, recognize that this was a need, some of that started, and again, not for EHR, not for a lot of these things, but it started because for a decade now, we've been asking these questions and um, have been partnering with outside organizations trying to get to this and been doing it in pilot cases, doing it for one hospital, doing it for one service line, doing you know back of the napkin math to try to 
to prove some of this stuff out, to make sure that we are right in, 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 in proving that we can do it. But yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. I think encompassing all of this should also be relationship management. And at the very top of the pyramid, the last step, and we learned this after we did everything else, you really do need uh, some data analytics uh, and digital marketing support within your marketing organization. I was personally creating some of these reports at the beginning of this, and uh, the manager that was working for me at the time was doing this, but, and it was taking us away from our job of growing new campaigns and making new relationships and you know, helping to grow the business and connect patients to the care they need because all you're doing is analysis and reporting. So ultimately, uh, we decided that we really needed a digital marketing analyst on our team. And this person's job basically comes in two flavors. Make sense of this information and report it out and help us understand where we should optimize, right? So having somebody that has deep knowledge in the digital marketing, hands-on knowledge, running campaigns, and also has that analyst brain. We found that to be extremely valuable. And we were able to, over time, get to a monthly marketing, you know, consumer activation report that included revenue and uh, return on marketing investment um, analytics to the tune of uh, about 130 slides, which is overkill. I'm not going to lie. Wow. <laughs> it was because we were measuring everything from our 50 different call center lines to every single individual campaign and then slicing and dicing the data in different ways so we can get at really those insights that that were necessary what campaigns to start what camp campaigns to stop what to continue investing more in etc yeah and i th- i feel that that marketing analyst role which we're seeing more and more now in healthcare marketing departments right surfacing that person does a very good job of being neutral to the data itself, right? I find that a lot of times on our end, we might have like a, a vested interest in the success of a digital marketing campaign or a, or a, a web page or a multi-channel campaign that we're trying to do. Having someone come in that could just be very you know data neutral, but do that in two ways, right? As you described, one, to help us understand how we can optimize where things are underperforming, but also the second part, which is very, very important, being able to add the story behind the data so that we can report out on the successes. In our experience here, the analyst does what the analyst does. And you then have to look at it from your marketing lens to, to help make sense of it and to tell that story, how it makes the most sense. I, I'm actually mostly interested in what's not working. I don't like to see campaigns that I help bring to life and, and not just me, a whole team of people. I mean, we've got content marketers and we've got, you know, marketing operations and service line markers, marketers and writers, and there's a designers, there's a whole team of people. And when they fail or they fail to show a return, it doesn't make me happy, but I like to know if it's working. And sometimes you're marketing the wrong thing or you're marketing it in the wrong way, or you're marketing it to the wrong audience. And it allows you to uh, shift and shift more quickly than you otherwise would have. And by the way, we have had that experience and we have actually stopped four different campaigns and 
really uh, skinnied down and optimized uh, one campaign to only Google Google search uh, or paid search because it was just too expensive and, and there wasn't enough revenue to justify the spend. I'm like you. I like those types of opportunities too, because it's always about constantly reviewing, improving, making things better. That is oftentimes for for people that are in the the marketing space, it sometimes is a little bit challenging. But I think it's part of what we're what we need to do, right? We need to continue to look at how we can optimize what we're doing. We're it's always constantly learning and changing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And to your point. We're marketers. We are storytellers. I mean, you're telling a story right now, right? I do like communicating those successes back to our clinical and operational teams and and leadership, and back to our broader marketing department because it you know it, it helps garner more positive momentum uh, to doing more where you can be successful. But you have to be careful because you don't want to go out and claim, again, all of this success in digital marketing, when really it's the organization, it's the providers, it's the people answering the phone, it's the organization that was successful. And that's really the way to present it. And um, that's what I like to, at least that's what I attempt to do, to make sure that this isn't a story about ego. This is a story about uh, successful teamwork and organizing and standardizing and then helping patients get the care that they're looking for and making it as easy as possible, right? My job is to make it as easy as possible to find care at one of our organizations and become a customer, a loyal customer for life. You know, when you describe that, right, that seems like the hardest thing to quantify, right, in terms of measurement. We, we've been talking this whole conversation here about return on investment, right? Which is a financial metric. Yet what you're talking about is something that feels a little bit outside of that whole calculation. Tell me, how, how do you rectify that? How do you bring that together? Because I agree with you, by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you, but how, how would you rectify that? I mean, it really is a challenge because on one hand, we're, you know, we're talking about ledgers. And on the other hand, we have real people that are really challenged to find care um, in an easy way. And also, by the way, to be prompted to take that next step. I actually see what we're doing as um, a service. A, we're a not-for-profit system. And I want to see this organization continue to meet its mission by helping connect consumers to care at the right time, in the right place, in the right care. Um, I'm helping secure the bottom line of this organization so that we can continue to meet our mission and to achieve our vision of most trusted for personalized, coordinated care. You're marrying the two together, right? You're looking at the financial bottom line. You're also looking at the overall experience and collectively together. I think that ultimately achieves that ROI that we're really looking forward as an organization. I think that makes so much sense. So what's next, Dan? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're, you know, this is like the journey is almost over. Your, your, your ROI is there now, right? Or is the journey over? Yeah. Plant a flag, go home with the troops 
mission accomplished? No, of course not. It's never done. We're working on uh, no less than four major campaigns right now, which will then require meticulous detail to then set up all those operations and those tactics and tracking. And then you've got to communicate it all. And then you've got to, you know, collect that data. It often takes, it could take six months to a year to really determine whether or not a campaign is successful. Now you have leading indicators, you know, if you're getting leads, you know, if the phone's ringing, you know, but you don't really know what's happening downstream until you have enough information and enough time has passed to ensure that uh, those patients have had an opportunity to make their way through their patient journey. And uh, then it's going to show back up in the encounter files and then accumulate enough that you can analyze it and see how things are going. So the journey's not over. I mean, the real question though is how much longer do we really want to be taking in appointment request forms or callback requests? I mean, that's the stuff of early internet. I mean, this is healthcare. Uh, some of us are, are further advanced than others. Uh, but in my opinion, it's time to get well beyond that. And people should be able to make that appointment right away. They should be able to get a human if they want a human, go through a chat bot, go through a, a telephonic IVR system to change their appointment time, whatever the case may be. And you know, let's get to that next level of customer experience. And, but also, you know, as digital marketers, we need to, we need to help drive that conversation in some ways and, and help keep driving those folks into those uh, uh, channels and, and help the organization understand that having that uh, analytics there is still important because once you get past that form fill or that marketing call center call, it actually gets more difficult to do the analysis to determine if things are working because now you're doing it all in-house or you have to help get a vendor the, you know, to then review your data and then put it all together. So that's really, in my opinion, the next challenge is getting to that enterprise CRM, that full scale. I want to say access. I don't want to call it online scheduling because it's scheduling. You should be able to schedule appointment through Facebook Messenger if you want, mm-hmm. you know, but then how do you ensure that you can continue to track and optimize um, and make that that care journey as effective and quick as possible for your customers. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's very inspirational. Dan, I could talk to you forever about a lot of different things. In fact, you and I are going to be presenting at the next Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit. But you know, between now and then, if people want to learn more about you and get to know you online, what are ways that they could touch base with you? Well, it's almost embarrassing as the digital uh, guy to say, just find me on LinkedIn. But uh, the reality is that's where I am. Uh, you, you'll be able to find me on LinkedIn. I do, uh, I do pay attention. I don't post as much as I should. I will respond if I, <laughs> if I see, if I see a message. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated the conversation. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It was, uh, I appreciate the opportunity and I like nerding out on this stuff. So thank you. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you back on to nerd out some more. Anytime. Special thanks to Dan for coming on the show. Certainly great to get his 
input and thoughts around um, certainly ROI and experience and, you know, that journey. So that's, uh, it was great to have him on. Certainly appreciate his time. As we get ready to wrap up the show, just a couple of quick notes. Touchpoint.health is the website. Sign up for the TPS report while you're there. I know we're starting to round out the year. So look, look for some of our milestone episodes coming up. Episode 250, certainly. You're listening to 249 right now. 250 will be kind of fun. And then as we always do, some of our end of the year fun. So look look for that. Before we call it a day, let's do, uh, do some recommendations. What do you got today? Read I am a big fan of the Godfather movies. Have you seen yes. the Godfather movies? Oh, man. Some of my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Godfather 1, just amazing. Godfather 2, just like equally as good as Godfather 1. But then came Godfather 3. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I felt. Exactly how I felt about it. And, you know, I as so much as I wanted to enjoy Godfather 3, it really felt a little disappointing you know, incoherence at times. It was kind of a confusing storyline, what have you. Well, I heard about this and I just recently was able to watch it. Francis Ford Coppola recut Godfather three and he titled it the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. Oh, interesting. It really wasn't supposed to be like the third installment of a series. It was more supposed to be like sort of an epilogue if you will, right? Or a coda, as he calls it. And so he did some very minimal editing to it. And I heard a lot of great things about it online. I was caught in a hotel room a couple weeks ago. And so I was like, you know, can't go anywhere. So I'm just going to go ahead and download this and watch it. And I'll tell you, I really enjoyed it. The Godfather Coda, the editing kind of reorganized some of the pieces, the storyline, so to speak, Uh, you know, unfortunately, and I, I mean this with all due respect, he, couldn't edit out his daughter, Sofia Coppola, and her bad acting in it. But still, the storyline itself was still good. It w- actually was improved by this. Added in some nice. cut scenes. I'm telling you, if you are a fan of Godfather 1 and 2, and you really just felt a little bad taste in your mouth for Godfather 3, I'd recommend going back and uh, maybe downloading, you can get on Amazon Prime, The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. It's definitely worth a rewatch in this new format. And so that's going to be my recommendation this week. Very cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm a big fan. I'm going to recommend a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something I think it's a good read for a lot of folks. It's, uh, I think it will give people a lot of, uh, thoughts and ideas as they're reimagining and, and thinking forward into 2022, especially from the last 18 months or so, or close to two years now, but it's a book called dual transformation, mm-hmm. uh, how to reposition today's business while creating for the future. So they talk a lot about this idea that, you know, when you think about transformation, you think about it's a very linear path of transforming something into something else, right? Mm. This idea of dual transformation is, you know, how do you take that core business and reposition it all the while creating something new that's building towards the future? I think it's really interesting, especially in our line of work and kind of what we're thinking about and uh, what we're doing. They talk a lot about, you know, Netflix and Ford and, you know, all these big brands and kind of what they did over time. And, you know, that you think about Amazon, right? You, mm-hmm. People are very familiar with their story. But if you think about it, you know, the thing that they created while doing the other thing was, you know, being a cloud computing company. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, it's a good read and I'm most of the way through it. But I think it gives you some good ideas and some thoughts and even framework uh, on how to think about 
uh, what we could be doing in our departments and our organizations. So dual transformation uh, is from the Harvard Business Review Press, uh, written by, by three folks, Scott Anthony, Clark Gilbert, and Mark Johnson. Our good friends over at the Harvard Business Review. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Well, very cool. Another great episode. Thanks for joining us this week. We certainly appreciate all the support. We'd love to hear from you. Twitter, LinkedIn is the number one way or the two top ways, I guess you can track down Chris and I individually. Certainly sign up for the TPS report over at the website. Uh, We'd love to hear from you if there's other experts out there, topics you'd like to see covered, anything you think that would uh, make the show more valuable. We'd love love to hear it. So, Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.